Praise God. Amen. Let's turn in our Bibles to Psalms in chapter 15. And then I want you to hold that and also turn to Ecclesiastes in chapter 5. Praise God. What an honor it is to be a disciple. Amen. And to have destiny and uh, that God would use us. Praise God. Psalms 15 and Ecclesiastes chapter 5. There's a, an old story about a man who uh, owned a business and he decided he, it was time to retire and he would turn it over to his son. So he called his son in to give him a bit of advice. He said, son, it's all yours. I've made a success of this business because of two principles, honesty and wisdom. First of all, honesty, that means if you promise somebody goods by the 10th of the month, no matter what happens, you must deliver by the 10th of the month. Even if it costs you overtime, double time, golden time, you always deliver what you promise. The son thought about this for a moment, said, okay, dad, that's honesty. What about wisdom? Father shot back, wisdom, wisdom is not making such a stupid promise in the first place. I want to talk about a powerful principle that's been lost on this generation. And it has to do with a man's word. And I want to preach a sermon called, A Man's Word is His Bond. Psalms chapter 15, let's read verse 1 through 4. David asks a very powerful question. Lord, who may abide in your tabernacle? Who may dwell in your holy hill? He who walks uprightly and works righteousness. And he speaks the truth in his heart. He does not backbite with his tongue. Nor does evil to his neighbor. Nor does he take up a reproach against his friend. In whose eyes a vile person is despised. But he honors those who fear the Lord. And then look at the the end of verse 4. He who swears to his own hurt. And does not change. I want to look at the moral issue involved. The problem that we have is that many people have very little understanding about the spiritual impact of words. And part of the fruit of this misunderstanding is most people do not view something like a broken promise as all that serious. And the justification for this oftentimes is the attitude in the person's heart that says, well, when I made the promise, I really intended to keep the promise. In other words, when I said I would do that, I I meant it at the time. But then something came up and I got too busy. Or circumstances arose that I did not foresee. And we convince ourselves that because our intentions were right when we made the promise, that somehow we're not lying. Because lying is when you deliberately say something we know is not true. But this was not deliberate. This was just something came up, man. It was a circumstance beyond my control. And you see this a lot in third world countries. It's, it's amazing. In uh, the Philippines, I remember talking to some of the missionaries there, and they said it's, it's amazing the, 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 uh, the culture 
That if you invite somebody, you know, to an event, be it a party or be it to your home or even to church, they will always say yes. And they do that to save face. They, 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 culturally, they don't want to say no or they don't want to disagree. So they will always say yes. And then when they don't show up, you're supposed to know they never intended to come anyway. And that's a very bizarre cultural quirk. But in, in, in the Western culture, it, it's not quite that overt. We have more of a justification for our broken promises. And that is that when I made the promise, I was sincere. But something came up. The problem is God does not see it this way. In our text, David asks God a very powerful question. Basically what he's saying is, God, who's going to go to heaven? And it's not surprising that four things are listed that have to do with our words. In verse 2, he talks about who speaks the truth in his heart. And then in verse 4b, he said, He who swears to his own hurt and then does not change it. He, he's talking here about people who keep their promises. Now listen to what I'm saying. He who swears to his own hurt and afterward does not change it. So he's talking about a person who, in, in the moment of, 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 of inspiration or emotion or sincerity, makes a promise and then later realizes, you know what? To keep this promise is really going to cost me. And one translation says, he who keeps his oath even when it hurts. And another translation says, he who keeps a promise, even if it ruins him. And this is an ethic from a bygone generation that's been lost in our generation. It's where the saying comes from, a man's word is his bond. That it is no light thing for a man to give his word. It should not be a light thing. I have a, a man in my church named Pat Kelsey, and uh, he remembers uh, years ago, he's, he's almost 80 years old, he's 78 years old, he remembers being an Indian trader with his dad and a rancher. He remembers as, a, as, as he was growing up that his father would make an agreement that a thousand head of cattle or sheep would be delivered at a certain railhead on a certain day for a certain amount of money. And in those days, you're talking about a huge amount of money. And that deal was sealed with a handshake. Because that's what, all that was necessary. Because in that generation, a man's word was his bond. That's a biblical worldview, by the way. That's the sign of a righteous person. And the way God sees this is someone who makes a promise and then afterward realizes that it is not in their best interest. If you do not keep that promise, it is a sin. Because you have violated something in the spiritual realm because words are very spiritual. 
and words are powerful and a reflection of character, it is a form of lying. And David said, this is a heaven or hell issue. This is going to have long-term ramifications, and it's going to have a cumulative effect in life to where this is a heaven or hell issue. A client went to his attorney and said, I'm going into business with a man I do not trust. I want you to frame an airtight contract with which he can't break and which will protect me from any sort of mischief he might have on his mind. The attorney replied, listen, my friend, there is no group of words in the English language that will take the place of plain honesty between men or which will fully protect either of you if you plan to deceive one another. I'm not saying that because you, I think you should neglect getting a contract. We, we live in a generation where you, you better have a contract. But what he's saying is there's, he's making a very powerful point, and that is there's nothing that takes the place of people who consider their word to be their bond. That is irreplaceable. And whereas in the business world that may be a completely different arena, but for a Christian, I want to tell you, a disciple, a man of God, your word must be your bond. Because anything other than that, God says, is a violation. Jesus said, a good man out of the good treasure of his heart brings forth good things. An evil man out of the evil treasure brings forth evil things. I say to you, every idle word that men shall speak they shall give account thereof in the day of judgment for by your words you will be justified and by your words you will be condemned so one of the very powerful foundations of a disciple's character is the willingness and the ability to keep our word even when it is discovered that it's going to cost you to keep your word it's a moral issue that has eternal ramifications. I want to look secondly then at instructions to weigh our words. See, because this has such powerful spiritual consequences, God's word is full of warning. Do not be hasty with your words. Numbers 30 verse 2 says, If a man vows a vow to the Lord or swears an oath to bind himself by some agreement, he shall not break his word. He shall do according to all that proceeds out of his mouth. Deuteronomy 23, 21 says, When you make a vow to the Lord your God, you shall not delay to pay it, for the Lord your God will surely require it of you, and it would be sin to you. I'm here to tell you, if you have not discovered this, God takes this very seriously. So the question is, what motivates people to make promises and then later break them? Well, one is a basic lack of integrity. Verse 2 of our text, the King James says, who walks in integrity, or the New King James says, uprightly. George Will said the, the three least credible sentences in the English language are the check is in the mail, of course I'll still respect you in the morning, and I'm from the government and I'm here to help you. 
See, one of the problems is just raw dishonesty. Just people who just are liars. They're, they're deliberate. They are, they are calculating liars. But there's another motivation. You could call it foxhole religion, which is related to jailhouse religion. The old saying, there are no atheists in foxholes. It means it's amazing how religious people get when the bullets are flying. And all kinds of promises are being made. And all kinds of vows and repentances are coming down. Amen. I can remember uh, when I was in high school, uh, we were at the, at the school late at night doing illegal things. Amen. And uh, there I was. And uh, the, all of a sudden, the police cherry is piercing the night. And we are busted. How many of you have ever been busted before? And I remember saying, oh God, I'm, I'm sitting there. If you get me out of this, I will never fill in the blank. And guess what we got out of it? And it probably wasn't one weekend till I had forgotten all those vows. See, what happens is, is, is when our fat is in the fire, then we become very, very intense with our words, don't we? Somebody said, vows made in storms are forgotten in the calms. There's another motivation. There's a false guilt. People, a lot of times, with a desire to please, they feel guilty. A lot of fathers do this. The absentee father, the neglectful father who lives selfishly and indulges himself and always promise their kids things to appease their conscience. No, 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 I can't, I can't do that. But, you know, uh, next week, next week, it's going to be me and you, man. And it's motivated by guilt. There's some people that just don't know how or when to say no. Even in the church. A leader asks them to do something. A pastor asks them to do something. Oh, yeah, yes, yes, yes. And we're going to get to this later. I'd rather somebody just say, no, <laughs> no, I can't do that, than to say yes and not do it. But some people, they just, they, you know, they, they just have no ability to uh, make a, 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 a reasonable and rational assessment of their life. So they're constantly breaking promises. James describes it this way, a double-minded man is unstable in all his ways. This is a person who has not made up their mind to do what is right. And they speak things before God in the, in the, in the emotion of the moment or the conviction of the moment, but they are not, they're not stable in their mind or in their, in their character. But from God's view, listen to what I'm saying, this is not a light matter. And in God's view, it would be better not to make a promise than once to make it to break that promise. I want you to turn with me to Ecclesiastes chapter 5. Read along with me. It says, walk prudently when you go to the house of God and draw near to hear rather than to give the sacrifice of fools. For they do not know that they do evil. Do not be rash with your mouth. Let not your heart utter anything hastily before God. For God is in heaven and you are on earth. 
Therefore let your words be few, for a dream comes through much activity, and a fool's voice is known by his many words. When you make a vow to God, do not delay to pay it, for he has no pleasure in fools. Pay what you have vowed. Better not to vow than to vow and not pay. Do not let your mouth cause your flesh to sin, nor say before the angel it was an error. Why should God be angry at your excuse and destroy the work of your hands? I want you to feel the weight of those words. God says, I don't want you coming into my presence, running your mouth, and not following through with what you promise. That is a major violation before God. This is what happened to Ananias and Sapphira. This is, most people miss this. Ananias and Sapphira sold a possession, kept back part of the price, his wife being privy to it. Peter said, why has Satan filled your heart to lie to the Holy Ghost? While it remained, was it not your own? And after it was sold, was it not in your own power? You have not lied to men, but unto God. And when he heard this, he fell down and he died. What happened here? Well, what happened was there was a revival. Some people got stirred, sold some property, gave the money, and, and Ananias and Sapphira were watching this, and maybe they thought, wow, look at that. You know, maybe they were, who knows what motivated them. Maybe, maybe at the moment they really wanted to do the same thing, or maybe they were just thinking they could get attention, but for whatever reason, they said, we want to do the same. We want to sell some property and give all the money to God. But then after they sold it, they go, dude, this is a lot of money. What were we thinking? You know, that's what you go through after you make your pledge sometimes. What in the world? I think I was just caught up in the moment of the emotion or something. These people, what they did is they made a pledge and then they broke it. That's what they did. And Peter said, look, nobody made you do this. Nobody, nobody made you promise to do this. This is, this was your, nobody's manipulating you. Nobody is twisting your arm for all your money. You did this. And you have not lied to men. You lied to God, and God killed them. God killed them. And that's what God's talking about in the text here. He is not impressed by flowery promises. I'll go anywhere, Lord. Oh, really? Would you go across the street and witness to your neighbor? God, I'll do anything for you. Oh, yeah, would you, uh, would you go overseas and be a missionary? Hello. See, when, when you open your mouth before God, that's not a light thing. And you know, this begins to, to, to show up in discipleship in the form of men who make promises, but they always have a reason why they can't keep those promises. It's like, brother, would you take care of this for me? Oh, yes, pastor, got it. A day or two later, did you get that done? Ah, uh, well, uh, no. Hello. 
Then why did you tell me you were going to do it? Because, oh, I really wanted to do it. Well, that, you know, that doesn't help me. There's a few things as annoying in life than men who will not do what they said they will do. Faithfulness. The, the definition of faithfulness is to be counted on. It means to be reliable, that you can be counted on to be where you're supposed to be, when you're supposed to be there, doing what you're supposed to be doing, because you said you would. And it doesn't matter if it's finishing a job or taking care of a detail or following up on somebody or, or moving some equipment or being on time. This is a character flaw. And God says, I would just assume you keep your mouth shut than to be making promises that later you are not going to keep because it would cost you too much. This is why some parents never do get dominion over their children. Because it's, it just it floors me to watch parents. If you don't shut up, I'm going to knock your teeth out. Okay, that sounds really great, tough guy. But you're, you're not going to knock their teeth out. So why don't you just say what you're really going to do? Well, when we get home, I'm going to spank you. Well, that's good until you get home and you don't. And guess what? After a while, their kids know you are just a blowhard. That's all you are. You're just a blowhard. You just, you just like to spout, and it means nothing. Hello? You need to weigh your words. You need to be very careful. As a matter of fact, I'm very careful. When I, when I pronounce an edict in my home, I want to be very careful about it because it may not be in my interest. I will ground you for the rest of your life. I don't want them in my home the rest of my life. <laughs> this is funny, but this is, this is why kids don't respect their parents. If you don't clean up your room, I am going to throw away all your clothes. Oh, that's smart, Einstein. I don't want to throw away all their clothes because then i got to go buy them clothes. How about your words, they know your words mean something. How about that? How about when you tell them when you get home, I'm going to whip your butt, you really do, even if it's four hours later and everybody's happy again. <laughs> we have ministry standards. This drives me nuts. You have a problem with that? Every, most groups on earth that are worth being a part of have standards. If you, if, you, if you go to apply to be a Gallup policeman, there are going to be standards. They're going to talk to you about not having facial hair. They're going to talk to you about what you do in off hours. They're going to talk about what, being on time. If you go into the military, there are standards. If you try to join the North Side gangbangers, they got standards, man. You're going to have to go, like, shoot somebody's house. 
And if you don't want to do it, you can't be in the gang. It's just part of the deal, man. It's just, it's just life. So my question is, when, when somebody comes and says, I want to be in ministry, and you, you hand them a piece of paper, and you are up front, there's no small print, there's no tricks here. And somebody says, yes, I will do that. I, I really don't want to play Holy Ghost nursemaid, man. I don't want to play Holy Ghost Please, I expect people to keep their word. If you don't want to do it, just don't do it. We're not going to kick you out of the church. We're not going to, you know, look at you weird. Either you want to do it or you don't want to do it. And God says, you know what? I would just as soon you just say no. I would just as soon you keep your mouth shut than to always be spouting. But you can't be counted on. You know, the media thing, man. It's like, come on. Either you understand the issue about the media or you don't. Sneaking off, you know, to people's houses to watch movies. Come on, man. Why don't you just not be in ministry, okay? What's so hard about being in Sunday school? Sunday school for us is 9.30. That's about 90 minutes later than most of you guys got to go to work. What is so hard about being here at 9.25? That drives me nuts. You know, there's some men, they're always late. Because they're lazy. They have a character problem. People that are habitually late are people with a character flaw. They don't know how to keep their promise. Will you be there at 9.30? You bet. Guess what? If you promise to be somewhere at 9.30, you cannot leave at 9.29 and be there on time. You, this may seem trite to you, but it, to me, it is, it is telling. It is amazingly telling. You know, I tell the people in my church, you know, Gallup, it's not that big, man. You can go to one end to, to the other, a Gallup in one song on the AM radio, they say. <laughs> If you leave your house wheels rolling at 9.10, you can be in church on time for Sunday school from anywhere in the city. It's just not that hard. What's the problem? It's exactly what we're talking about here. And guess what, man? It's your job to make sure that this is in order in life. Is this serious? I remember the first time I, I read Ecclesiastes chapter 5. And guess, guess when that was? It was about 45 minutes before I got saved. Very, very bizarre experience in my life. I actually got saved in, in New Converts class. There were four of us. And Mark Olson was teaching. And uh, that's a whole other story. It's a funny story, but I'm not going to go there. But anyway, it was just me and, and, and three New Converts. And they knew they had a sinner in their midst. Amen. Everyone's on high alert, you know. So, so they, they give me a Bible, you know. It's a total setup. And I'm having to, like, read scriptures about getting saved, you know. But I remember it was great. And I did. I got saved. It worked. But before class started, this, this is true. They handed me a Bible from the back. And it just fell open to Ecclesiastes chapter 5. 
And I read that portion of scripture. And I'm telling you, the Spirit of God came on me. God was saying, don't you come in here making all kinds of promises if you don't mean this. I felt like God was speaking to me. I don't know if he does this to everybody. and If he doesn't, I don't know why not, but he did with me. Don't you be coming in here running your mouth. It was as if I felt God, and I hadn't even gotten to say I felt he was saying, don't mess with me. Do not trifle with me. Either you're going to do this, or you keep your mouth shut. That's what I felt like God was telling me. And I'm telling you, the fear of God came on me. And when I bowed my knee that night, I knew exactly what I was doing. This was for keeps. About a year later, I'm saved, beginning to come to terms with discipleship, and I got on a pity party. Don't look at me like that. You ever been on a pity party? I don't remember exactly what it was about. Probably some girl or something. Real important, you know. But I was in a funk, and I made a decision that I was going to backslide. I was going to get on my motorcycle after the music scene. I was going to drive to Lake Havasu, and I was going to get drunk on the beach. That was my plan. I'm just being honest with you. It was the middle of the summer. I figured I could just pass out. It was warm. I'll be fine. This, I, I had a plan. I got on my motorcycle, and I am heading out of town. I'm on 89, heading toward Ash Fork. And the whole time, God is reminding me of this scripture. Oh, is this what you're going to do? Is this what you want to do? Do you remember you made me a promise? Do you remember what you said to me? I'll serve you the rest of my life. You remember that? Do you mean that? Do you remember me? You remember? And I'm telling you, man, he's hammering me. And just about the time I felt like I couldn't stand it anymore, I pulled my motorcycle over. It's, it's pitch black. And I just stopped, and I looked up, and the headlight of my motorcycle is on a sign that's still there today. I passed it. I checked every time I drive that road. I checked for this sign. It's still there. It said, Hell Canyon. I very carefully turned my motorcycle around and drove back to my house and repented. Do you know something? When you got saved, you made God a promise. And backsliding, while I know God is merciful, it's no light thing. I want to close very quickly with a blessing of integrity. The reason this matters to God so much is it's linked to his character. In hope of eternal life, which God that cannot lie promised before the world began. Not only when you got saved did you make God a promise, God made you a promise. And you know what? God has never lied to you. Never once. And for his men, he expects the same.
God has called me on the promises that I've made to him. To the point where anymore, when I'm in an altar and a pastor or evangelist wants to lead me in prayer, I am very careful. Because God says, don't you just come up here and rattle off your mouth. If you don't mean it, don't say it. And I had an experience. It's a couple years ago. An evangelist in our church led us in a prayer. We committed that for 30 days we would make an effort to reach a certain person for Jesus. Maybe you've sat in a service like that. 30 days, you're going to make an effort on a consistent basis to reach a certain person in your mind. And I remember who that was, and I made that commitment. And for about two weeks, I, I kept it, and then I forgot about it. And this may sound super spiritual to you, but I went through this period of time where I felt like something is, is wrong in my relationship with God. And I asked God what it was, and he reminded me, you owe me two weeks, man. That may sound funny to you, but I'm telling you, I was in my office and my, my eyes fell on my calendar and God showed me where I broke my promise and he showed me how many days I owe him and he showed me on my calendar when I'd be off the hook. And I fell to my knees, I repented, I said, God, I, I made you a promise and I didn't even think about what I was saying. And guess what? I gave him those two weeks. I, I made the effort. And to this day, the guy isn't saved or in the church. But that's not the point. God says, I don't want you running your mouth at the altar if you're not going to follow through with it. How about your wedding vows? You made a promise before God, before your spouse and community that for the rest of your life, till death do you part, you would not have any sexual expression in any other way, shape, or form except with that human being. Keeping only to you for the rest of my life. That's what that meant, in case you didn't know that. You made a promise. You think you're going to get off the hook? You're not going to get off the hook. You need to weigh your words. Words are spiritual. Your word needs to be your bond, and you don't have to add anything to it. Cross my heart and hope to die, stick a needle in my eye. What the heck? <laughs> What does that mean? Like, if you don't say that, you can't be held to it. If you just say, yes, I'll do it. That's what Jesus meant when he said, let your yay be yay and your nay be nay. You don't have to swear by the temple or the altar. Say what you mean. And when you say something and you realize later, you know, and I didn't know exactly what I was getting into here, but I made a promise. There's men, I believe, that have backslidden and lost their destiny because they promised God they would do his will and then later they wouldn't do his will. They wouldn't answer the call to go overseas. They wouldn't pioneer. Or they wouldn't stay in their church and submit to their pastor and be a part of the congregation. 
couple celebrating their 50th wedding anniversary. He said, did you ever consider divorce? The woman said, oh, no, never. Murder, yes, but never divorce. <laughs> History is full of examples of people that are honored simply because they kept a promise. General MacArthur, Philippine Islands, U.S. forces forced to retreat. He made a promise that he would return, and he did. Ernest Shackleton, he advertised for his expedition. He was asked, can you guarantee that people aren't going to get hurt or die? He said, absolutely not. I cannot guarantee that. I will not promise that. As a matter of fact, there's going to be hunger. There's going to be thirst. There's going to be hardship. And when he got into a tough situation, he had to leave his men in a very dangerous place. He promised he would return for help and come back and get them and at great risk to his own life, he did that. Because that's what men do. Men keep their word. Can I tell you something, men? What you need to be as a disciple is a man who can be counted on. When your pastor asks you to do something, when a leader asks you to do something, when you make a promise to live a certain lifestyle or abide by a standard, you make a promise to your wife and children, whether it be on your job or whether it be in ministry. What this generation needs are men whose word is their bond. Because this is a reflection of God. The greatest example is God himself. Let us draw near with a true heart and full assurance of faith, having our hearts sprinkled from an evil conscience, let us hold fast the profession of our faith without wavering, for he is faithful that promised. God has kept every promise he has ever made. Our salvation is called the everlasting covenant. Aren't you glad you have an assurance? You're not going to wake up one morning and decide God changed his mind? And like spirit, God expects his men to become like him. This is accomplished in repentance. There are going to be times you're going to have to fix the broken promise. There's going to be times that you're going to have to fix a failure in this area. You know what? You make a commitment to be somewhere at a certain time and something happens that's going to keep you from that. A phone call. Hello. There's going, to, there's going to be times you're going, to have to, you're going to have to fix it. You're going to have to repent of this. You're going to have to measure your words. You're going to have to learn to keep your mouth shut. But more than anything, develop a character that God can count on and that men can count on. And you know what we need in the earth? We need men we can count on. We need men that we can believe. Men that we can take them at their word. Men that can handle money. Men that will reproduce our vision and be honest. Men that have an integrity that can give that away to other men. 
David says this is not only a character issue for this life, but it's an eternal issue. Who will abide in your tabernacle? He who swears to his own hurt and does not change. Let's bow our heads before the Lord.